Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Comeback Stories is a production of Inflection Network and iHeartRadio. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Comeback Stories. I'm one of your co-hosts, Darren Waller. I'm joined by my guy, my friend, uh, Donnie Starkins. Donnie, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. It's good to be here again. Good to see your face, as always. Always, brother. I'm, uh, I'm super excited for the guests we have on today. You know me, I love to create music, uh, just listen to music, just the overall energy, anything that has to do with music. And we have an artist on today who is really seeing the the fruits of his labor really start to come to fruition. A lot of the listeners may know him as putting out an infectious single called Billie Eilish, but a man who has so much good work in his catalog and is really still just warming up. Uh, I'd love to welcome uh, Armani White to the show. Armani, welcome, bro. Thank you. Thank you, bro. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Yes, sir, man. Appreciate you uh, creating time for us. What what you been up to lately, man? What's going on in your life these days? Man, I'm ducking from the sun. <laughs> um, we've been, uh, you know, like I, <laughs> I, I I take as much as you know the the time that I can when I'm home to just like sit down, work on some music, like be a human, play a video game or something like that. Because like you know, like it's, it's I only get like two days out of the week to be home. Tomorrow we've headed out for another festival, and then I think after that we run in New York, Montreal, back to LA. So it's just yeah, it's nonstop running. <laughs> no, nah, I feel you, bro. I, I'm definitely want to dive in with you on how you stay human uh because yeah. i i face some of the same problems myself but i'd love yeah. to just dive right into your story and start about uh growing up for you and uh what was growing up for you like where was it at and just paint a picture for the people yeah no nah, i think um i think we were the last kids of uh, like that were outside <laughs> you know what i'm saying like we, we was like the we we're like our generation was like the turning point of the internet kind of taking over people's lives so like my like you know we we spent our last couple of days just like being outside like you know getting in the only time i wasn't outside i was on punishment and uh like those moments when i was on punishment was where i kind of learned how to work the internet work myspace work facebook and tumblr or whatever it was at the time so um but yeah i mean for the most part we was just i was just you know just the, just a little the little bad kid in the neighborhood that just couldn't stay out of trouble and like they everybody knew my parents so anytime i did something they told my parents and i just get back right right back on punishment <laughs> i feel you man so uh you grew up in philly right there's a lot of uh 
feel like there's a lot of different images of Philly. You got like Fresh Prince of Bel Air, Will Smith yeah. getting out of West Philly and still representing. Mm-hmm. You got Meek Mill, you got Lil Uzi, um, yeah. and people paint a a side of Philly that's tough, but they all love it and have a sense of pride about it. And I believe you do as well. What it yeah. makes it so tough, but what do you love about it? Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. It's like the fact that it's so tough and the fact that we came up in this city, it kind of gives us that that sense of pride to say, like, you know, if you can make it out of here, you can make it anywhere. Or even if you can make it and stay in here, you can make it anywhere. Like, just because it's a very uninviting city. <laughs> like, if I could if I could describe it in any way, like, if you're not from here, it's like, all right, well, what you doing here? You know, and that's that's kind of the the, the, <laughs> the 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 mentality, the personality that just like the city has for you. But um, but once you you know, once you kind of get ingratiated into the culture, like it's a dope city. It's always something, some some way to be a part of something. You know, just something going on in Philly. There's always some. Are there any distinct memories of of pain that you look back on early growing up as a kid that may have affected you in a way, or affected the way that you just looked at the world or approached life? Well, to be to be all to be honest, as, as much as much pride as I have for Philly, um, and just being from Philly, there was a big piece of my life that I had to just step away from Philadelphia, like because of all the trauma that I experienced in Philly, like you know, just just growing up, being outside, like all the trouble that we got into, but also, um, in two thousand six, there was a house fire when I was staying with my aunt. Um, I was like back and forth between my aunt's house and my mom's house, and there was a house fire that my aunt had where she lost her life and my three cousins lost their lives. And um, from that experience on, it was like really hard for me to just be in Philly. Um, on top of just a few other things, like I like a like a few a few years following that, my uncle, her brother, he was shot and killed in a um. And uh, the road rage incident, uh, it was a lot of just trauma, like just a lot of trauma that I think that I experienced in the city uh, growing up. And some things that like it's kind of like a hungry dogs keep running kind of thing where like you you don't even really get to process some of this when it's going on. You just kind of like especially for me as a kid, I didn't I didn't understand the concept of like, you know, my cousin who was my best friend at the time. Like I'll never see her again. My aunt, who was my second mother at the time, I never see her again. Like you kind of just have to keep growing, keep learning, keep running, keep like experiencing things. And you you don't really get a second to kind of step back and just look around and say like, oh, this is what happened. And this is how I'm affected by this. You know, like a lot of that, a lot of those things I took with me, I didn't realize how much of a shift it created in my life until I was, you know, maybe like, like reaching like 20, 21 years old. And like, I'm starting to just like peel back the layers and say, oh, this is what's actually happening. You know, I read a quote from you that said um, a lot of us in Philadelphia, when you just talk to someone, you feel like there's a lot of trauma, a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of layers layers to that city that we've all gone through, and if we haven't gone through it, it's it's the trauma's been passed down, yeah. right? And we we find ways to to make our trauma sound and feel and look beautiful, but at the end of the day, it's still trauma. Exactly. When I read that, I was like, wow, because I'm watching someone like you that's transmuting that trauma and transmuting that pain into a greater purpose. And in fact, that's why all three of us are sitting here today with our own past and our own pains. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I always say like people, we're all the same. We all have pain and we're all just trying to find freedom from that pain. And a lot of people uh, like myself and Darren back in the day would numb that pain through drugs and alcohol. Other yeah. other people will hide in their work and get busy. Some will close their hearts and then there's other people that find that greater purpose. So yeah, yeah I just found that fascinating and that awareness <clears throat> that trauma is passed down and sometimes we don't even realize it even if we haven't had it. It's that ancestral, that deep stuff that's just generational dysfunction more than anything. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I, I tried 
at at the very earliest I tried to just kind of understand the the through lines of um I guess like how trauma and how like pain affected people and when they resorted to things like you said like drugs and alcohol in my head if I wasn't doing drugs and alcohol then I was not like I wasn't taking my trauma out and in a toxic way, I was handling it in a healthy way because I didn't go resort to drugs and alcohol. But I think my downfall was I used to take that trauma out on other people and and in my relationships. And like, you know, like what I said, like, you know, we used to go outside and just try and like, I don't know, I was I was I wanted to be the bad kid. I wanted to be the tough guy in the neighborhood. But it was all because I had this feeling of misunderstanding that like I felt like nobody could understand who I was, what I was going through, what pain I felt. And so I had to inflict that pain on other people. But it didn't even process to me how toxic that was because I wasn't doing drugs or alcohol. I was, you know, even in even in the moments when I was involved in the distribution of, the, of these things, it was like I didn't even think in, into the process of like, OK, if this is not me doing it, per se, then I can't be affected by this. I can't be actually dealing with anything. It was just you know, it was, it was almost like you said, it's just kind of like we 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 all are just living in a world of trauma and we're so like deeply tied and connected to the trauma that it, it just seems natural to us. That's that saying, uh, hurt people, hurt people. Exactly. And if we don't if we don't heal our own wounds, then, you know, we're 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 sure to inflict it mm-hmm. and 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 bleed on other people, if you will. Right. If coming from somebody, maybe Darren, you can maybe I'm speaking for both of us, but. I can't, I wouldn't ever understand how you didn't tap into, to drug and alcohol abuse just based on the trauma and the pain. Cause I don't, I mean, we all have pain, even though my pain might look different than yours, but just mm-hmm. hearing your story and everything that you went through, I don't feel like mine was on a level is, of yours yet. I still went down that road. So how did you steer clear of, of drugs and alcohol? I did. Uh, I will say I drank alcohol until I was 15 <laughs> and it wasn't uh, it wasn't never anything related to uh, pain. It was like I just thought it was cool because everybody else is doing it. Um, and it was like, you know, you see all, everybody would come back to school like, yo, I was I, was, I we got drunk and we did such and such. <laughs> so I, you know, I used to try and do it and it just tasted awful to me. <laughs> and um, and I remember one time I, I did it in California, one of my cousin's house and I blacked out woke up like didn't remember anything and I was like yeah I don't I don't like that feeling like I don't, I'm not I'm not really uh not really feeling that one and 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 as far as like just drug related drugs in itself was so it was so embedded into my culture growing up um you know like my my father my father played a hand in in, in distribution of drugs my a uh, lot a lot of other family members a lot of friends a lot of people in the neighborhood like I, I seen how drugs had kind of just derailed the course of people's lives so much that I've always just kind of just been you know um um what's the word I'm looking for? like tunnel visioned on this idea that I want to be a success story I want to be a musician I want to be someone great and I was like I feel like if I you know if I ever let my trauma let let my pain put me in this pocket where I start to kind of abuse drugs, then I may be taking away from the the larger picture, the bigger goal. And, and I was, you know, that was just always the thing that was hanging over me. That was like kind of keeping me in the right direction. Mm. That level of focus from a young man is in- impressive to me, uh, especially with all the things that are swirling around on the outside of you and on the yeah. inside of you um, with the, the violence and, you know, navigating the potholes of drugs and alcohol and everything else that's going on in Philly. Where does your music passion come into the picture? When did that begin? How did that uh, begin to sprout? Honestly, like music was always 
music was my before me. It was my aunts and uncles, my grandfather, my uh, like everyone. Everyone in my family played music, uh, like played some sort of an instrument. So it just kind of became a thing that uh, you know, it, it just became a thing that was passed down for me. Uh, by the time I got to it. I was in the choir. My mom had me in the choir early on. So, uh, you know, after after uh, after I realized I was like, oh, maybe I don't got the best singing voice. I, <laughs> I started, you know, just started messing around with the ideas of like, just I, I will watch all the all the rap videos. Like, I, you know, I, I hurry up, run back from school so I can turn on BET 106 and Park and watch all the rap videos. And like that just became a thing where I was like, yeah, I feel like I could do this. I feel like this is something that I, you know, I could, I could excel and I could be like really good at telling my story, whatever the story was at the time. I, you know, it was, I was in like second or third grade. My story wasn't that impressive, but like, you know, um, um, over time it just developed into like from a hobby to a, I was trying to get all of my friends around me. I was like, y'all write your raps. I'll write your raps. I'll write your raps. Like, you know, just trying to get everybody to be a rapper with me. So it wasn't just me. And, uh, and then it just developed more and more into, you know, just into a, a a real life thing. It was like it, for a while, honestly, like as as the as the sh- the street culture, like the neighborhood culture, and and music blended. You know, you're talking about like the Lil Wayne era, like the mixtape era, like like everybody at that point was rapping. You know, like yeah, like my mom, I remember my homie Keem, his mom bought us a a, a microphone. And we would just sit in his room and just like, you know, we take turns, one person to press record and the other person to press record. And um, that was my earliest memories of like, oh, no, we could actually do this. We could actually make songs. We could actually, you know, turn these into MP3s and and, and download them onto our phones and, and show people. Uh, but it was always the thing that was embedded in my lifespan, you know. Can you take us through any moments that may have um, almost detoured you from wanting to pursue your passion? Was there any disappointments along the way from... Before, from when you started to when you started to get on, like th- where you may have wanted to give up or people were telling you that this wasn't the route. Like, are there any moments yeah. like that in your story? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I mean, you got to understand, like I'm, I've been rapping since I've been rapping since I want to say since, since second grade. I've been trying to put words together. So by the time I hit fifth grade, sixth grade, that was when I was like, yo, I can actually take this serious. At that point, I remember it was a, a moment where we thought we was going to get signed to state property in Rockefeller. <laughs> you know, like we were kids and we like, yo, we're going to be the next ones. Like, you know, there was there was so many of these versions. Um, I had to, you know, I had to go through the experience because I wasn't like the cool rapper that was just rapping about drugs and guns and like, you know, a bunch of guns in the videos, a bunch of money, a bunch of girls in the videos. I had to go through the experience of like just being the quote unquote rapper and trying to explain to everybody that I'm a rapper and nobody actually cares. And, you know, by this point you graduate high school, you graduate, you know, and, and everybody else got a, is in college, got a job and you just like, nah, nah, I'm a rap. Trust me. It's going to work out. Like, you know, and, and that was a, you know, that was, that was a real like awakening moment for a while. I was just sleeping in my car in a, in a garage, you know what I mean? Like I was sleeping in my car in a garage behind a movie theater. And that happened. I want to say that that went on for about like two months. Yeah, I think there was a lot of um, there was a lot of these moments that just played and played out for a long period of time until um, until that that you finally get that breakthrough. And, and for now, now it's like a conversation on the Internet where it's like, yo, it's an overnight success. And I'm like overnight success took 10 years. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It sounds like you've you've always no matter what we're we're going to fight for this dream and this vision of, of rap stardom. Like, where does that. Where does that juice and where does that fire come from? When I was a kid, my dad didn't let me quit anything. 
And I think that's a big root of like where a lot of it started from. It was like, yo, like, it don't matter if he put me in some sport that I never wanted to be. And I remember I did karate for like a year and a half just because I could not quit. <laughs> My dad wouldn't let me quit anything. I couldn't get up from the front of dinner table until I ate like 85% of the plate. Like it was just like, there was no quitting in the household. So at that point, even when it got like really, really tough, it was like, like, you know, when I decided, okay, I'm not going to do anything sports related. I'm not going to do anything, you know, like anything, I don't know, uh, college related, so forth. It was like, I was so far down this path. It's like, if I quit at this point, (laughs) like I didn't shot myself in the foot for literally anything else in life that I want to do. It's like, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't turn back the clock and, and, you know, go back to high school. And, you know, like I didn't, I didn't, I skipped so many big, milestones in my life too dedicated towards this thing that it was almost like yo it has to happen i don't know how i don't know in what way but it has to happen and that was uh you know like it was just something i fought for for too long for me to give up on it but that lesson that your dad shared is like people not really understanding that fully in 2023 like when things get uncomfortable people want to go to something that is easier or Mm -hmm. like that's not going to have them in fear or in doubt when really like that character quality of you. No, I read this quote that was like, uh, my friend Tatiana posted it and it was, uh, what's the point of having faith if you're going to lose it when you need it most? And that's like my favorite quote right now. (laughs) That's my favorite quote right now. It's like, what's the point if by the time when you actually need faith to kick in, anybody can have faith when it's easy. When you actually need faith to kick in, you just get rid of it. What's the point of having it at all? You know? Oof, I just posted a, a story on Instagram yesterday about that, where I believe faith relieves us from the burden of excessive responsibility. Like whatever your faith is, faith in God, higher power, universe, like and my in my beliefs are you better believe in something bigger and badder than you because mm-hmm. like when things do get tough and when things get too heavy, like who are you gonna give it up to? Yeah. How are you gonna really be able to trust trust the process and trust that life is always happening for us and not to us. And even some of the things that you went through, you know, it's like there's lessons there. I'm thinking back to the lessons that your dad taught you. And even the, the lesson of, um, I heard the story of your dad getting you, getting you the bike and you were getting bullied and your dad said, whatever, do whatever it takes to bring that bike home. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like that lesson right there is another one of those don't quit lessons where no matter what happened, you always, you always brought your bike home. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's, that's always, that's, that was just my dad. That was my dad and any, like any and everything. It was like, I don't care. I remember, I remember when he had me in boxing, I had to spar against somebody that was like two times my size. And I was like, well, look, this is what you asked for. Like, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm like, are you sure it's nobody else in the gym? He's like, nah, listen, he's he, the person you're looking for is right there. <laughs> and, and that was always, you know, that was, it just kind of gave it, gave me that like fighter spirit, that fighter mentality, because that was, that was exactly who he was. And he only wanted to train, you know, like when I was a pup, he only wanted to raise, raise like, you know, pit bulls, bulldogs. That was like actually going to go in there and fight for whatever it was that you wanted. And no matter if you wanted to be a chef, you was going to fight for that, you know, that, that, that food plate. If you want to be a trash man. You was going to fight for that trash can, whatever it is like, <laughs> you know, so. So when did, when did you start to reap the harvest of that faith that you just told us about? Honestly, the journey is never, it's never just a linear path. And, you know, I'm pretty sure everybody can attest to that. It's never a linear path. Uh, my first, like the first moment when I really started to reap it, I remember I was in college. Uh, we had dropped a song called Stick Up. When I said like, we had no money. I was in college. I, I had, uh, I had just 
bought a we bought a tripod to make the camera steady one of my homies cameras and and like it was you know it was just like yo I, I had called like 10 homies like yo you stand right here you stand right here you stand right here you walk behind the cameraman make sure he doesn't fall and then we just shot this video on my friend's block and the video went like it like it was like you know whatever the version of viral was in 2015 it was like it popped up on youtube popped up on tumblr it went crazy on soundcloud etc cetera, etc cetera. and at that point that's when i first started getting like phone calls from the labels phone calls from the different companies managers and everything and then it started to feel real it was like oh i'm getting interviews like people are asking me who i am that was the 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 start of something bubbling that was the first moment where i felt like I can actually do this. This thing, this this thing I've been telling people that I'm gonna be one day. It's like it's not as far as I thought it was. Uh I remember we went on, we had got the call to go on tour that fall with uh Big Crit. It's like, yo, we're gonna go on tour for a couple of dates. And the first night, we're we're like, we're like, I think 17, 18 years old. Um, and Big Crit is like 35. I don't know. <laughs> like his audience is way older than I am. And I know the first night we went out there. We like hype jumping around. My DJ, he throws water in the crowd, misses the entire crowd, gets it all over the equipment. They kicked us out tour the first night. And I'm just like, wow. It's <laughs> just a quiet car ride home back to Philly. Like, oh man, that was Saudi. And, you know, and I, and, but we still had this like, we was riding on the high, riding on the high. And then, um, that following year, I got the phone call, uh, that my father, I, I had just, we had a show in Philly. And um, I was like, let me just go invite my dad. Me and him was like, well, we weren't on best terms. So I said, like, let me go invite him to the show. Just like let bygones be bygones. And when I pulled up, that was when I found out um, that he had cancer and he was going through chemo. It was like really but like, you know, and like in, in its terminal stages of like. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroesfilm.com to get tickets now. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> 
Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my dance, dance bro. <laughs> You know, he's only a month or two left to live. And I just remember that, that, like, crashing, halting moment where, like, everything just stopped. We get... So, so like I explained it to you, like that was the first moment where I, I remembered that I was real, if that makes sense. Like I, like I've been so lost in this journey of I'm going to be a rapper one day. I'm going to be a star. I'm going to be a this or that. That was the first moment where it like, it pulled me out of that world. And it said, wait, this is, I'm actually still just Armani. I'm, I'm Lee's son. I'm Donna's son. I'm, I'm this kid who grew up around here. And these things are happening in the real world. That's actually affecting me. And it's like, I can't write a song that's going to fix this. I can't like, you know, um, yeah. Like, like that was, so I took a, I took a step back just from everything music related. Uh, I took a step back from everything music related in 2016 and just like I wrote, I wrote it out with him until he passed that June. And uh, honestly, after that, just took a break from music and Philly, <laughs> like all together. I just I moved out to uh, I moved out to L.A., moved out to L.A. for a couple of years from the end of 2016 up until I want to say like the end of 2018. I was just uh, I was I just couldn't like. Uh, it, it was like a, 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 I don't know, a demon on my back kind of thing. Anytime I came back to Philly, it was this idea. It was like just a, something that was haunting me that just didn't allow me to be in the city and feel good or feel comfortable um, until I, you know, I finally came back 2018, 2019. It was like, you know, like, let me just kind of face my fears and, 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 and stand on top of whatever it is that's like haunting me right now. And, um, you know, and from there, I think from there on, was where things started to kind of there's honestly it's just again it's just these these like it's never a linear path because I came back to Philly and everything was going good um the pandemic happened and we had a, a house fire we had a house fire in 2020 and just when I'm thinking everything is cool this house fire happens and they charged us for arson for the house fire um and it wasn't like, you know, like there was there was no no intentional house fire or nothing. It was literally like the, a fire got caught, a fire, caught, something called fire. And we called Dan, we called 911, whatever, whatever. They got it taken care of. Nothing, no real damage. Nobody hurt. But they charged us for arson. And this is like pandemic time. So it's like, we don't know if we're ever getting out of jail. We don't know. Like they, you know, they're not giving nobody bails. Like it's just so we got warrants out. We like, I'm literally like in my mom's living room like anytime somebody rings the doorbell i'm terrified i'm like i don't know who that might be like it, it was it was bad for like a month we're just trying to figure sort lawyers like i'm like i can't get pulled over i get pulled over they're gonna find out like it's like you know we're, we're trying to figure this out for like a month and we finally just had to we had to turn ourselves in go to jail um and i'm you know and i'm just thinking about it from the perspective of like if I go to jail and like, you know, I've, I've built this like clean image for so long that like everyone just disappears. Everyone's like, ah, and, I, and you know how fickle this, these, these entertainment industries are. It's like, you know, like you can, we, no, nobody ever takes an account that you're a human who sometimes makes mistakes or things happen. Like, it's just like, ah, you got a bad strike against your name. Mm, I don't really want to, you know, so. Um, I'm just thinking about all of this, like, yo, everything I've built for all of these years is just gone from one 
you know, some somebody putting in a, 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 a warrant out for me that doesn't even make sense to have, you know. Um, and so we went through that. We went through that moment. Um, finally made it. We made it out of the jail. And uh, a year later, we went to trial or pre-trial for it. And they threw our case out. And that was like, I mean, they've been greener pastures ever since. Honestly. <laughs> like that was like the <laughs> moment where it, I finally like just, you know, started to soar because um, at that moment, I, I really was like, you know, we made a project called Things We Lost in the Fire. And it was really just like about taking that moment and the house fire I had as a kid and just making a piece of music, like almost like a journal entry that like uh, that just kind of talks about the things that I've been running from for the past 10 years, past 15 years, and just really get it off my chest, really speak about it, really just be vocal, be open, honest, and and vulnerable about it and get past that moment so I can just get back to making making fun music, having fun with music, enjoying myself with the things that I'm creating. And that was right after that, that was the Billie Eilish moment. That was when we walked into that Billie Eilish era. It's crazy how in order for you to get to the moment of, you know, where everything takes off and everything starts to get good. It's like, it feels like yeah. there's a sense of, it doesn't seem like I can escape this pain. It doesn't seem like I can escape bad things happening to me. Like you talk about being real and you can't ex- escape the pains of life as a human being. But for you, it's just like, if, if, if did it feel like an avalanche? Like, it's just like, it won't stop. Like, did you feel like that? You know what it feels It feels like... I'm gonna make a, a make a make a football reference. It's almost like it felt like anything good. Anytime something good happened, you just kind of had to plant your feet. <laughs> you had to plant your feet and lean forward. You was like, "Yo, just kind of brace yourself for the impact." Because something I don't know what it is, but something bad is is around the corner. Like, uh, and and you know, like even and and we've been I've been dealing with it a lot more amicably and just like a lot in a lot healthier of a way because I it's a slower process, but um. Like we, I was fighting, fighting, fighting to just get this project out. Just like, you know, the, this, uh, Road to Casablanco EP just out the way so I can start working on the album. And the moment we finally do, I'm like, wow, I can finally woosa, I breathe. I got the tour dates is done. Like I'm good. I can sit back for a second, relax. I get a call while we're on the press run. I get a call from my uncle that says, yeah, you know, we just, we just found out that, uh, Grandpa Lee has, terminal lung cancer and you know they're giving them a few months or like up to up to a few months left and i'm just like god damn like i can't. it's like at what point does it like the good not come with the bad that's that's where i say it's like when when these things happen when you get these really high highs like i just plant my feet at this point i'm like all right i don't know what it is i don't know where it's going to come from but i know at some point like there's something that if i'm if my feet aren't planted it can knock me over you know, and if I'm not embraced, if I'm not ready for it, if I'm not ready for that embrace, if I'm not ready for that impact, then they can knock me over. If we go back to, I just wanted to circle back about the conversations around your dad. What did you learn about death and maybe grief, the process of, of death, and then also maybe what you, how you could have handled it better and what you learned in the process of actually processing the loss of your father? My dad, for a lot of people who have their father in their lives, their dad is like the strongest person. Like as as, as you're a kid, you know, you you kind of idolize and view your dad as like the strongest man in the world. He's Superman. And watching my dad have cancer, it broke a lot of spells. Um, and like there were good spells and bad spells that I learned from him. And it was just like this idea of fearlessness, this idea of bravery 
which he 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 instilled in me. But I think I learned bravery in ways that weren't awesome, that weren't actually brave. And what I mean by that is like in those moments of weakness, he showed me bravery from a different perspective. That it was okay to cry, it was okay to lean on someone, it was okay to have help, and it was okay to have family. And um, that was a new level of bravery that I learned just dealing with his transitioning. And when he ultimately transitioned, because you know, like dealing with something like the house fire in two thousand six. Um, I, I went down a dark path because I didn't know how to channel that energy. I, that energy, I didn't know how to process it, and I didn't know how to express it. And one of the, you know, one of the rawest things I could have did when my father passed was just cry, you know. And it's like, and it, it sounds crazy, like because because you know, like everybody, um, you know, like have has that emotion. But for me, it was just like that was a hurdle, just to be able to cry, just to be able to let that, like, let that expression out. And um and dealing with like dealing with losing him, I just I got really, really comfortable with just the idea of crying, like being okay with crying, being okay with being expressive, being okay with like not like not having a calculated response, but just having a raw emotional response when it comes to the me, the people I love and the things I love um, um, and how it's affecting me, you know, uh, and then that was that was a real that was a really, really, really sharp learning curve for me. What did what did grief teach you? Did you ever go to grief therapy or counseling or get outside help uh, through this process? Yeah, um, we we uh like so again. I think I did like I did grief grief counseling and then um there was a level of therapy. There was a version of therapy that I did not that long ago. Um, but even you know, and even just talking to doctors and talking to therapists, like having like just like you know free conversation. A lot of it what I always get back is like a lot of this is in you. And, um, and for me, what people would tell me is like, you're just an open book. You're an open mind and you're just like an open thinker. Like as long as you're able to put yourself in an environment where you can think all these things through and think all these things out loud, then it's not so much of like the external help that you really need. It's just like you being comfortable with like, speaking it out loud, you know, that, that, that was for me that, you know, and I'm not speaking for everyone, but for me, that was what was most helpful. Um, grief counseling when I did it, uh, was like, I want to say seventh grade. There was so much that was going on, like seventh, eighth grade. There was, there was the house fire I had. There was like, uh, uh, my, my sister's boyfriend, he had just got shot. There was, um, uh, we had a friend, I had a friend in Quadir who had just got killed. Um, and it just like, and there was like that, that was something you know, like we, that was really like a, 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 I don't know, it was a weird thing for me because um, he was playing football. We was just, he was at practice and um, like, I think he, you know, somebody was tackling him and, and his, their foot kicked him in the head too hard or something. And he, uh, you know, like the trauma killed him on impact. And, you know, even for that it was weird for us. It was like, he just died doing something that he loved. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do any, you know, um, but it was in that moment, it was in that phase of my life where it was like, Yo, you just got to pick it up and keep going. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, you just got to pick it up and keep going, pick it up and keep going. So much so that like all of that unrolled in like this, this, the processing of like external pain, just taking it out on everybody else. When, when, when I did grief counseling, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if I even listened, you know, uh, uh, I was a kid, you know, I was a kid. I was just kind of like, all right, yeah, like this person is, is saying things to me and, and I don't, you know, maybe it makes sense or maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But honestly, I'm, you know, sometimes I might even just be like, I'm, I'm very hard headed. So sometimes it might even just be a process of like me being a slow learner in a sense of like, I'm just being a, 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 
a contrarian, like, you know, just being like, just, just being a contrarian to whatever it is you're saying, even if you are making sense. And in like three or four years down the line, when I don't have you and I realize I need you, I'm going to remember everything you said and it's going to make sense and it's going to steer me in the right direction. And I think a lot of which, because when I turned it off, when I turned off the, I want to be a hood kid, I want to be the street dude, whatever. When I turned it off, I turned it off. I have no interest in it. Like, it doesn't excite me. I'm not, you know, like, it's not even the, yeah, I want to buy all these guns for protection or whatever. Like, like it's like, I turned it off. <laughs> like, it was done. And, and, and so I think, but I think a lot of it was because I had these small, small seeds planted throughout the process that didn't really, like, they didn't grow. They didn't sprout until years down the line. But when they sprouted, they finally like, you know, like when a moment like my father passing happened, all those things that didn't make sense then made sense now. That's the, that's a beautiful realization to come to, man. And I love how you talked about you felt like you had to dig your heels in. Right. Um, now that you're seeing a lot of your dreams come into fruition, there's abundance of blessings coming into your life. Do you still feel like you got to dig your heels in, even though things are going great? Or have you escaped that mindset? Are you still trying to find your way out? Like, how are you dealing with that now? I mean, um, even with my grandpa, my grandpa was, uh, that was recent. That was real recent. Um, um, so like, it's, it's a little bit of it. It's a little bit of, uh, uh, um, digging my heels in, but I don't know. Like, like, it's like, I, I try not to, I try not to like be so, so invested on this idea that something bad is about to happen because, you know, it might, it might, it might stifle you and like create a cloud over all the good things that's happening. I just, t- I kind of focus on like, okay, what's in front of me right now? What can I like, uh, there's a, there's actually, um, a quote that I seen in like, it's like a old, old, old episode of Oprah. I think when my mom was watching it, I was a kid, but, uh, it was, this guy was selling a book and I don't, you know, I don't know why this one moment stuck with me, but this guy was selling a book and he said, um, in his book, it was, it was a quote that said, you're only in control of two things in life. It's how you prepare for what's about to happen and how you react to what just happened. And so like a, a piece of me is always digging my feet in and saying, OK, I'm prepared for whatever is about to happen, whether it's good or bad. But at the same time, I'm reacting to all the good that is happening because it's just, it's just a lot of good. You know? That's beautiful, man. What are your what are your practices today as far as being able to stay in the present and um, not time travel or future trip too much or go back to the past? Like, what are the practices you're doing today uh, to keep you there, to keep you present? I think, you know, like uh, uh, what I learned a lot from, especially with my father passing is uh, how important family is. Family is, is, is quantified. Like you don't, you know, you don't get another mom, you don't get another dad, you don't get like a lot of these things. So um, it's, uh, it's just like, I, I value that so much now. I value like the importance of family, like what, what I now, you know, with these, with this newfound career, with this money, whatever it is, like what I now can do for these people, because I don't, you know, like for me, I'm so, you know, jet, jet set and focused, laser focused on what the goal is that like, I don't even think about, you know, if this person is dealing or struggling with this bill, and this is something that I can easily help with that literally does not, it doesn't change my trajectory. It doesn't hurt me. Like I, I literally wouldn't even, you know, I wouldn't even realize if you took it from me. Like I'm like, but I, that one little thing I can do could change somebody's entire day. Um, I just try to do that as much as I can for the people that's like, that's around me. And I try to find little ways, little pockets to stay human. Like I'm at the end, end of the day, I'm just like a real big kid at heart. So like, I might just, I might just ignore my phone for the whole day and watch Dragon Ball Z. Like I might, you know, like just little things that like make me still feel like in my rawest essence, I'm the kid that didn't, you know, that, that, that just did everything that he wanted to do and didn't like conform to whatever everybody wanted me to be. 
I think staying human is so important, man, because we see so many people, rappers, athletes, like when they reach a certain level of success, uh, it's like it leaves. It's like the hum- the humility may may leave, like just the, mm-hmm. the passion for creation or whatever their craft right. was may leave. And right, it's like right. they change almost. And it's like, how do we continue to achieve all of our goals and our visions that we have set out for ourselves but don't change in the process, continue to still be ourselves, continue to grow and change in the ways that we need to change. But just foundationally who we are, we don't change in that way though. And that's uh, it's beautiful to hear you say that. Nah, nah, I think, I think it's it's just important as far as like, like you just said, be like just humility, being a human, being like being present in this, because what what you got to like what I understood and learned to understand is like, like this, this idea of the entertainment world is so, like, like it's it's all about the facade, honestly. Like like the success, the 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 trajectory, the longevity of it is like, yo, did you buy this chain? Did you get this car? But like, you know, there's there's pages that that can can count up how much your outfit is worth. There's like there's all about the facade, so much so that it's like you don't really get the chance. Like nobody's talking about the good somebody did. Nobody's you know, there's no there's no trophy for you know for 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 waking up one time and 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 taking care of somebody. I don't know. Like if like it's a lot of times I might I might pay for the car behind me at Chick Fil A. Nobody nobody hears about this. Like you know what I'm saying is, but these it's all the little things that just make you feel human, make you feel real. If you just went to the park to like throw a frisbee around, if I just you know if I just sat outside and put my feet in the water, like these these little things that like we completely throw throw away sometimes because getting a chain is cooler. Or like you know, like I need I need forty girls to pull up with me at this section of the club for the, I, I don't know. It's like, like like none of these things really excite me that much. <laughs> Darren and I talk a lot about finding your center, right? I think we all have a center. We all get pulled off our center from the world's demand for the attention of our minds, and um, you two specifically. If we're we're talking us three because of the platforms you have, you know, I know you mentioned that. You'll often pay for maybe a family member's bill, but I think there's a balance between also setting boundaries where there's a lot of people wanting certain things from you. So mm-hmm. where do you find that balance? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing to protect your, your mental health and your energy these days? And do you have practices like meditation or any movement practices that actually bring you back to your center? Yeah, uh, I go I go to the gym. Um, it's like, that's like my meditation. That's, that's my, you know, um, and you and Darren, tell me, tell me if if I'm if I'm just making this up in my head. But there's like a certain level of, I feel like I like for me, it's on the bench. If I'm bench pressing, and I'm I'm small dude, I'm like 170, but like I can bench 225 now, like 225 a couple of times. But that 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 idea of the weight of the world on me, and I just pick it up and put it off of me is like I feel like I can accomplish anything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, and so that's like that's my real um you know that, that's that's like my real hyperbolic time chamber where I can kind of go in and just like, and be at peace, be centered, be training, be like, be focused. But at the same time, when it comes to, you know, like the demands, what I, what I realized that family and people other, like who aren't in this world don't understand there's like, there may be a day where $30,000 comes in. And at the same time that, that, that day that 30,000 came in, it gets broken down. Like say it's for a show. That show, that show amount got broken down to like maybe eight thousand dollars, and at the same time, just in other expenses, I spent about another, um, I don't know, twenty thousand. And like, yo, we had to set, set this up for the sprinter, we had to set that up for security, we had to set that up. So like, you know, like thirty thousand might have became, I don't know, like negative twelve thousand. Like, I went on tour for for two months. I went on tour for two months, and I made twenty 
5,000 and we spent about 60 just staying afloat, you know? And so like, but the people who don't, who aren't in this world don't understand that concept. So I don't know. When somebody asks me for money, I'm broke. Like, I, <laughs> I'm holding out on that as long as I can. I was like, yeah, I'm broke. I'm super broke. <laughs> Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to do That's my That's my dance, <laughs> No, I can relate to both of those examples, especially um, like in the weight room. It's uh, there's something that be, that's trained in your mind when there's like something providing resistance to you, and you're able to push through it and overcome it. Mm-hmm. Like it translates into your character, it translates into your everyday life. When you make that mm-hmm. a habit mm-hmm. of uh, of your life experience, that becomes your character. It becomes it gives you the strength to put your heels in the ground, like when it's when yeah. it's healthy too, and when you and when you have no other choice. Um, exactly. And anything difficult that comes, uh, there's like you said, just trying to stay afloat or things aren't where exactly where you want them to be. I push through because I, I don't quit. And yeah. um, it's also the, the, the family side and, and, and the money. It's like, you know, you got to be willing to have that courage to say like this, this isn't what it is. Like I, I love you in in ways that I can, I'm going to bless you. But yeah, it's like people see my name go across the bottom of the screen. It was like a uh, three year, 51 million it's like that's really just an extension. It's like they put fluff on the contract. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm really only making twelve this year, and yeah, then yeah, yeah. I'm out in New York now, so it's taxes on that. So it would be like six. Like, 
Mm-hmm. It, we mm-hmm. ain't, it ain't the fifty one. <laughs> my account right then and there, tax free. Like, but a lot of people don't. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> don't understand that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's a fact. <laughs> you see, and yours is fifty one. Mine's is like I think I, I don't know what that number is, and other people's is, but like mine's was was I think it was like six million total or something like that. It was like I mean, like like, and people think that six million line is like, oh, you have six million dollars. Like, nah, I got like a couple hundred thousand. And it's like, that was, that was before, like you said, before taxes. And then I did, I took care of this. I had to take care of that. Then I had to like, you know, like it was things that before, like it was, we were still taken care of on top of just like, now my image is a lot higher. I have to pay for it. You know, like I have to look the part a little bit. I had to get a chain or get, they just get little things that like, that just make me look like a rapper now. And there's like just the living expenses on top of that. I'm like, yo, you have no idea how much money I don't have as opposed to whatever that number was you just seen on that press release. Like, cause <laughs> you guys both, well, Armani, you were talking about resistance or Darren, you were too with the working out, but I was curious. We've had a previous guest on named Steven Pressfield. He wrote the book, the war of art. And the whole book is about resistance and how resistance gets in the way of our creativity so for both of you, because you guys both write music, um, how do you deal with resistance when it shows up as like writer's block or, you know, wanting to put pen to paper and you're just like not coming up with anything? It's like for me, what I learned for the most part when I'm having writer's block is really just a um, a lack of experience. Uh, that's for, for the most part. And like sometimes it's maybe may something different, but a lot of times it's like. I don't know what to write about in this environment or with, with this particular song because I'm not living it. I have to sometimes, a lot of times, I have to just go outside. You know, I have to go outside and like breathe air, like especially if like I'm writing a record that's like relative to I want people to enjoy themselves, have fun. I have to go outside, have fun, and just like and you know, and just because nowadays when we're writing music, we're not writing something that's abstract art anymore. We're writing something that's relative to people. We're writing something that's the soundtrack to people's everyday lives. And we're writing something that's just like, it's relatable, you know? So we, we have to like, we almost have to go out and be the person that we want to put in this song so that the person who we want to hear this song can feel like they know that person, you know? Yeah. I feel like for me, it's like, uh, not trying to put like a, a certain timetable on, uh, a project or an idea, but allowing the idea itself to dictate when it's done, um, mm. not have to rush to a result or rush to put something out to please somebody or to, or to get that, that clap or that ovation. But it's really just like keeping in mind as much as possible that I love the creation aspect of this. So I'm going to pour into that as much as possible. And whenever I try to force something on a record, it, it ain't going like there's not, there won't be a line on the paper, you know, yeah. but, I feel like some of the best things are so simple and they, they come naturally and they just flow out of us because it's like that was meant to be for that moment. And sometimes that idea can come out instantly. Sometimes it may take months, but being okay with however long that process is and not trying to force my will or my desires or any type of greed I may have in my heart into the music, but just keeping the process as pure as possible, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's like, you know, it, it, and it's funny that like for me, you know, you I walk into this building and the question is, you know, how do you how do you write? How do you make music? Like, what's your creative process? And I'm like, yeah, I like the I like the kind of mad scientists. Like, I like to just, you know, like I, we may make a beat in the studio together. I may make come up with an idea, whatever. But when it's time to make the song, I want to be by myself. I want to be able to just like completely just free flow, just thoughts, like let them let everything out and just, you know, like brainstorm with it. And 
a lot of times because the industry is in such a microwave society thing now, like now it's just like, nah, just come down to the studio and just make a song on the spot. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, like, it's like, I'm not doing that. If you ask the producer to do it, he's not doing that. Like he, you know, like they, they come in with like five to 10 beats that they all just made. They didn't make any of these beats on the spot. Why do I got to make something on the spot? Like, you know, so um, I like, I, I agree to exactly what you said. <laughs> Man, I'm uh I'm sensing or I'm my intuition is feeling a little collab between you you two. Uh, Armani, I don't know if you've heard any of Darren Darren's music. Darren's humble to a fault, but he is crazy talented. I was just playing his music for um some of my girlfriend's friends in Tulum this last weekend. And okay. anybody that I play his music to, they're just like blown away. You know, they're probably expecting something and then what they get with the creativity and and Quality oh, yeah, trash. Too. Let's 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 not yeah, let's not get too uh, expecting something trash. Yeah. <laughs> another another athlete trying to rap, but uh yeah, man, it's uh yeah, super talented. The both of you are. No, absolutely. I definitely, you know, like I'm 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 definitely in a collaborative world right now. So and and if you if it's as fire as you saying you make it Tulum music, then yeah, <laughs> we we definitely got some music. <laughs> <laughs> Well, his music doesn't uh, have a Tulum vibe, but I could see, I could see, nah. I could see some Tulum, Tulum vibes. <laughs> <in his music. laughs> hey, wherever it's meant to go, it's meant to go. But, yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> well, man, appreciate appreciate you uh, coming on here today, man, and and just yes, being sir. so open about your story and your journey, and just sharing wisdom and experience and strength with the people, man. It's uh, it's awesome to get them to see this side of you. Because they see the the turnt side, they see all the different records that you put out. But yeah. to see you're a human being and a great human being at that, man, it's uh it's been a blessing to talk to you, brother. Man, it's been a blessing to be on the platform. I appreciate y'all both for having me on it. Yeah, man, thank you. There's nothing greater for me to sit and uh, sit back and observe. You know, you got a, a an athlete, a NFL football player, and a rapper, and we're talking. We're not talking really about those things. We're talking about the real stuff, mental mm -hmm. health you know, taking yeah. care of ourselves, protecting our energy. And that's everything to me. So thanks for showing up and being real today. No, nah, I, I appreciate y'all. I had, um, I want to even, I, I even add on to saying that, uh, I had a, I had a guy, I was doing a session in California, like around the time when my father passed and, um, he was, we were just kind of like, like I was telling him, I just took a break from music. He was like, I just took a break for the same thing. You know, I had, my girlfriend just broke up with me. So I was kind of in, you know, just really depressed in, in my world and whatever, whatever. And um, I was like, oh, man, you know, I hope, like, you know, you kind of come out of that. He's like, well, what's, what's going on with you? And I was like, well, you know, my father passed and, and I, I kind of just had to get away from the city. And he was like, oh, wait, no, like what I'm going through has nothing on what you got going on. And um, and but I told him in that moment, I realized we're dealing with the same volume of emotions. It's just two completely different you know, stories, two completely different uh, reasons, two completely different, you know, um, backgrounds. But the thing that we're feeling is the same. What, you know, what we're going through kind of binds us and puts us all in the same box. So like, I think, you know, this is, this was really beneficial and helpful for me um, just to like, you know, kind of create that coalition and say like, yo, whatever it is that I may have been dealing with, whatever it is that you, you have been dealing with in the past or will deal with in the future. Like we're not that far apart from each other and that we all go through things and we all just, you know, have our comeback stories and get back on top. Straight up, man. Again, thank you. Uh, appreciate everybody joining us and listening to another episode of comeback stories. Hope you guys keep coming back. You know how we do comeback is in our DNA. Um, check us out anywhere that you download podcasts, um, subscribe, leave a review, um, and check us out on the Inflection Network on YouTube as well. And uh, we'll catch you guys next week.
Comeback Stories is a production of Inflection Network and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.